guys, Kenise Middleton here. Danny Wright. We are Color Scheme. The most dynamic mother and son pair. Talking on topics like entrepreneurship. Personal development, being your personal best. Navigating corporate America, you name it. We got you. So join us, listen to these episodes. We got something for everybody. This is the best podcast out. If you listen to it, you will win. Color Scheme. Color Scheme. And we're back. And we're back. We're back, we're back, we're back, we're back. Lots happening, lots of things are happening, a lot of movement in the world from the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I think we should start there. I think we should start there because there's so much happening in the news with respect to what businesses are doing and how they're responding to COVID. You as a small business owner and uh, co-founder of a nonprofit, have you guys have a response that you've made? My company has a response, My, myself as an instructor, we all have different ways that we've been responding, but I think it's important for us to talk about what businesses are doing now. What are they doing in height of the pandemic and what are they doing to make sure that employees are in a safe environment and comfortable about what happens next? Why doesn't, but does, does employees comfortability matter as Absolutely. much as it's, it's been pushed? So I think it does. Um, and And not only do I think it does, I know it does because you need people to be in environments where they can be productive. The bottom line is you need people to work. So if you need them to work, you need them to also be somewhat happy and comfortable um, in the state of things for them to be able to be productive. And I say that, I say that because before now, if you would ask me that question, I'd say happiness, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should care about people's happiness. But but this is beyond happiness. If this you pay for utilities and to have and to have no, an no. office space, this, this, your this. employees need to be in that office space. Absolutely, but it's this is beyond just you making them happy. This this is about safety. This is about welfare, their their personal welfare. This is about their ability to 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 understand that they're in a place where they are cared for in the height of the pandemic. I agree with that, but as a company, if you can set up the protocols and like create, you know, safe spaces, then your employees need to have their butts in the office. I agree with that, but you're also that what you, you know, just said. Like, think about like that, the, how many businesses said. got cubicles where you know you're in your own little cubicle and you putting up if you, if if these little glass plastic little defenses are good enough for all these restaurants and shops that everyone is still going into, right? right? Because retail right. and spending is up, even though it seems like ain't nobody got jobs, but spending is up. Yeah. And people are comfortable walking to all these different these different stores and retail restaurants. They should be comfortable to be in the office. But addresses what I mentioned, that it helps them to be comfortable because you've done something. Now, there are varying degrees of what that means to people, but... From an employee perspective, if you've seen that your company has done something to respond, you know, to the pandemic and respond in a way that gives the appearance that they care and that they're trying to make the environment safe for you, that that's going to heighten your 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 degree of you know being comfortable in the workplace. But see, I I agree with that, but I also think it's uh, we have a problem with just like entitlement culture in, in oh, general I, I in this, in this country agree. because and because it's again going back to all these restaurants that people are still going into all these fast food restaurants all these stores you know none of these restaurants rolling out all of these special media advisories letting their customers know oh we're putting up barricades and we're putting little dots on the floor to make sure you stay apart yeah. nobody's making these big announcements but people are still going into all these stores people yeah. are still going out to buy food people not just isolating their houses right now anymore right and i think when it comes down to work specifically people are all oh, i don't want to feel no, comfortable i, oh, I don't want to feel like I, this I, because see, they're the used to being in the house people I, just they I, I think people just want to stay home now i do i agree with you i completely agree with the sense of entitlement. I think a, a company has to find the balance between giving employees what they need versus giving them what they want. And and the more people stay home, the more they, they could potentially feel a little bit more, you know, demanding of what they want so that they're comfortable going back in the office. That's not what we're trying to do. But what we are trying to do is make sure that employees are, um, it, moving in a in a way of, of being responsible, that they're actually coming into the office in a responsible way that the organization has set for them. So that needs to be that needs to be known, that needs to be addressed, that needs to be done. But but the challenge I think now is companies trying to find the balance between um, what constitutes safe return, how do they continue to increase productivity, meet their bottom line, do all the things that they need to do to keep their business moving, and do it in a way that 
provides employees with an opportunity of uh, knowing that they're in a company that cares about their welfare. And well, one of the problems I see, I'm seeing is that there's not enough, that, like there's a lot more known about COVID and um, the virus than it's being put into the media or that's been told to people. Yeah. So for instance, with my nonprofit, we have a grant with, with DC government to administer COVID supplies and like do a whole COVID awareness and like do testing and all of this stuff. And as a part of that grant agreement, like we have to do a webinar, it's like this six to eight hour webinar training on like contact tracing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they said is a contact is considered being within six feet of someone for 15 minutes or more. If you aren't within six feet of someone for over 15 minutes, you're not going to just, it's not going to just transmit like this. You're not going to just catch right. it. And so there's a lot more information known about how infectious COVID-19 is because it's not as infectious as, as yeah. what's been, what's been portrayed and there's told. But at the same now. time, companies and people like that information isn't, isn't being disseminated. And there's so many uh, misperceptions about what's so going on. So when I on. say companies have an obligation to make sure that their employees are comfortable. I'm talking about things like that. I don't mean here's a couch now and here's a comfortable partition and here's, you know, put your feet up here and here's a a room now where you can, you know, take a break and and watch TV. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying with respect to the facts and the information that, that, you know, uh, what COVID is and how it can be transmitted and um, just the state of where we are in this country and where organizations lie within their different states and cities, that information needs to be known to employees. And the more that they provide that awareness, then they can provide a facility if they're transitioning employees back into the workplace. They can provide a facility that people will understand, okay, I understand the risk, I understand how it can be, uh, um, how someone can be infected, I understand how it can be passed, but I also know what my employees, or my employer is doing to safeguard me from you know, potential transmission from the virus and what they're doing within the facility. I agree with that. People also, I think, need to, to think about how they're safeguarding and protecting themselves they as well. Do. People aren't they even, do. People still aren't <laughs> even wearing masks to the extent that they should be. They people do. People are still out here. They do. Um, and when, but when it comes down to, to companies having this responsibility, I think giving too much is definitely a slippery slope. Yeah. You know, like you said, yeah. like, companies shouldn't just be like, oh, here's a couch and right. here's a nice little pillow. Um, but I think we are seeing a, a paradigm shift right now with well, in relation to uh, workers and employees making very high, having high, very high demands mm-hmm. and expectations of their organizations yeah. and expecting their companies to meet all their demands. Yeah, what do you- I, I agree with that. I agree that um, in height of what's happening with uh, COVID-19, you know, people are scared, people are afraid. I mean, for good reason, people are dying every day from it. So they, they want to, to, to feel safe as they move about. And, and right now, the safety that they feel, for the most part, is in their own homes. And so for organizations that have cleared employees to work remotely, I can see the majority of employees feeling like, I don't want to go back to work. You know, and I, what are you doing for me to make me feel um, safe about going back to work when I can still work for you from where I am? So it's, it's But there's a lot of people also saying, hmm, I could work from you from somewhere else. And a lot of people are starting to travel and going to beaches and going all and like flying like And they're getting work done. They're getting work done. Yeah, but if you if you <laughs> if you can hop on a full plane you can take your butt in the office. Yeah. I mean there's 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 a point. Like to again that too. To from there's from a like a business owner to- standpoint, you're still paying for rent, you're still paying for the office spaces, you still have all of the furniture, you still have to pay all your utility bills, like, so you don't want a vacant, yeah. you don't want a vacant space. Well, one of the things I've seen that I, I've noticed some companies are doing, um, they've, they've had a, you know, hard and fast rule, no one's going into the office in 2020, here's our phased approach. Starting in February or starting in March or whatever date that they've picked, this is how we're going to start phasing employees in, and this is what that means, this is what we're now going to do, and they've put a hard and firm, everybody's coming back into the office, and this is when they're coming back into the office. And I think when you're clear like that, if you want to be directive about how you change your culture or how you shift people from remote to in-person now during, during the pandemic, 
you have to be very clear about what that means. You have to be very clear about what the rules are around that. You have to have your human resources folks involved. You have to have all your human capital people involved. Because the other thing that we haven't mentioned, I mean, some organizations have unions. They're employee rights, too. So you have to, you know, bring all that into consideration. And, you know, when you're sharing with employees, this is now how we're going to do business. And here's the bottom line and how that works. They'll follow. They don't have a choice. Um, and, and if there are some choices and some stipulations in that rule, those are also known to them, too. So I, I liked I like the fact that some employee uh, employers are, are really directing the workforce in a certain way. What I don't like, what I've seen quite often is there are a lot of companies that are just kind of like, oh, we don't know what we're doing yet. Uh, maybe we'll come back in October. We're thinking about it. Let us know how you feel but about I, I it. I think a lot, that that has, a lot of that has to do with our government and our government going back and forth and, yeah. and not being yeah, very responsive and, and directive. And it's almost it's almost the same because it's like just how like employees are looking, you know, for leadership to all these co- like to their companies and to the corporations. A lot of these corporations are looking to our government. Our government goes back to the as, leadership as, issue. As a leader, I mean, we know? have a leadership issue in this country. It goes back to that. Um, I mean, we see every state states and cities are responding to this differently. That just shouldn't be like we're not we're not working in one accord in this country and yeah. so we have a we have a pretty severe leadership challenge so i understand that a lot of the the organizations um in the u.s are kind of all over the place with how they're responding to COVID because we haven't had a directive you know from the office of the president that says this is how we are going to function in unison about this issue and so it's causing uh, organizations to kind of scatter and how they how they respond to it so i understand that but i think it's important um, for organizations to take a firm stance on what they're going to do. I believe as a leader, you have to show people your strength so that they can follow. And the strength is in your ability to, to lead, to manage, to direct, and to give people assurance on how that goes and how that's going to be. And that, that's, that's where we are now with how we're reshaping culture. Like this, this pandemic is really causing organizations to figure out how do we how do we deal? How do we deal now? And we don't know what 2021 is going to bring. We don't know what's going to happen with vaccines. We don't know any of this stuff. So how do we deal? What do we do? So so for you, you know, as, as a small business owner, what, what what have you been doing? Like, how is how is this? How is this shifted for you? What is it? How has it been for you and your business? Well, I think it's I think it's been different for us because like we always have like this very flexible, adaptive culture before before COVID even hit, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, we had Flex Fridays, like what was better than our culture was already like Flex yeah, Fridays right. and, you know, if someone needed to work from home, they could because like just of the nature of our work and like right. how we don't need to be in the office every single day. Yeah. Like we do morning check-ins, you know, every morning with the team anyway. So like, we know that you got your deliverables, you get them done, you if you need, you need someone's support, you just check in. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes back to the culture piece where a lot of organizations, because of the culture that they've already they've already had set, they haven't been able to adapt as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when I think about us being able to, to push forward and move forward with the pandemic, I mean, because even before the pandemic, I never really felt like we even needed the office space. Yeah. I mean, we need somewhere to have our things and we need a central location. But I think that we're going to begin to see a culture shift in the way organizations, um, you know, cut back spending. Right. Because. Yep. Amer- like one thing that's that's for certain in American businesses, everybody cares about the bottom line. Yeah. Right. Like every every company is looking at like where can I cut spending in this area, that area. Yeah. And this is about to be and a real really estate big. Real is one of the higher costs. Yeah. So. And we're about to see, it and I think that's why we're probably about to see a a drop in commercial real estate in general, just because. You know, like people yeah. are companies are going to recognize they don't need these office spaces, yeah, and they don't need to pay all these utility bills, and then and now if you're not having offices, you ain't got to buy desks and right. paper, right? right? And like all these little mundane like types of like small things that are adding up. I mean, that's a great point because one of the things that I've been in seeing and reading, and you know, as businesses have been uh, trying to figure out how to respond to the pandemic. I've seen that a lot of businesses are trying to figure out how they bring employees back into the office mm-hmm. instead of trying to figure out how do they uh, reshape this remote workforce now. Yep. Now that they have everybody home and they haven't seen any drops in their their bottom line, their ability to provide services and products and so forth, 
none of if none of that's changed, why have this grand plan? Well, one of the things, one of the things, you, one of the things you always told me, you know, when I was younger, this is more in relation to to my relationships. But if it's not broken, why fix it? That's right. It's right. True. If it's not if it's not broken, why fix it? It's true. It's so, true. So it's, it's, it's baffling to me that 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 some of even the most mature companies in this country are going. How do we phase employees back yeah. in? Why aren't you having a different conversation? Yeah, and and what and what it can look like, you know, what you just mentioned is when we when we see this shift, it's better for companies to think about how they can make their culture benefit from this, right? right? Leverage this and like help it progress to move and yeah. move forward, right? So like yeah. if if now all of a sudden you're looking at it and say my productivity hasn't dropped, my mm-hmm. employees are happier because they're home, so maybe I shouldn't have an office space. I can take that hundred thousand dollars or however much I'm paying, you know, for our office space yeah. and, and rent or in our lease and say, hmm, why don't I actually make this an extra day off for employees or figure yeah. out a way to have, you know, some t- and make it a benefit. Right. So like if you can cut your expenses in a couple of different areas because of uh, the way the pandemic is shifting business. Right. Then how can you reallocate that money to another way in another area that benefits your employees, that helps enhance your culture, yep. that um, you know makes your customers a little bit happier? Like, yeah. how can you take that money and do something different? And that is where a lot of companies need to start putting their head, yeah. you know, as they begin to think forward um, about enhancing their business. Yeah. So especially um, when you think about benefits, when you think about the current structure of benefits. You know, of course, there's health insurance, there's life insurance, there's all the, you know, the things that we know exist. But, you know, I've, I've seen a, a number of employees are, you know, they want more time off. Yep. They're, they're, they've already tapped into their leave for the year. And maybe even before this even hit, they were already, they've already, you know, kind of tapped into the, to the, uh, the volume of leave that they have for the year. So now they're like, I'm stressed, I'm having issues, um, I have to, my life is different now. You know, some people have kids at home, they're homeschooling. They're figuring that out while they're working. All these different things are happening. So they're coming back to employers like, what are you going to do for me? Like, I need more leave. I need I need some space here to do something different um, so that I'm not stressed while I'm trying to juggle all these new roles that I have in addition to my my nine to five. Imagine if imagine if some of these companies said, you know what? No one's coming into work. We're going to now turn our offices into daycares. Oh, my goodness. So you all drop your drop your kid. You can drop your kid off at the office. (laughs) And go back home and work. Oh, you know, that's a phenomenal idea. It really right. is. It's a phenomenal idea. In addition to that, you know, when we think about the fact that, you know, for, for some employees that do have that structured nine to five job and, and structured leave programs and things like that, why are we boxing people in to keep working that way? Mm-hmm. You know, now that you're home, you know, and, and, and especially for the people that have kids and, and, and family members to take care of and other responsibilities. Why? Why are we still working in this mode of, of thinking that people have to, you know, be at their desk between, you know, nine and five all day, day and just like in this rigid, this rigid it's, type of I mean, structure? We've moved so far beyond that, because if you think about, you know, even for you, like, you know, in your business, you, you don't have that that sort of you've already baked into the culture Things like, you know, we don't have to be in the office every day to get work done. I'm sure that probably translates too to the time that people work. But if you can get things done and you can work in the evenings, why is that still not acceptable? Why do people have to sit at their desk for eight hours a day to get work done? You know, and, and work within the constraints of this organizational framework that is now old and outdated. It's completely old and outdated. So um, providing rather than organizations spending the time to to figure out how to enhance these programs because that, that cuts into their money. So, you know, frankly, they're thinking, do I really want to do this? Do I want to offer this as an additional benefit when I when I haven't cut costs in other areas? That's something that they have to think about. But while they're doing that, why not think about adding flexibility into the workplace in the way that people work? Yeah. Why not say, you know what, finish. Here's your 24 hour day. Get it done. You know, and, and maybe put some if you know, parameters around how that goes and a little bit of structure in, in how people work. But there's no reason for people to do nine to five days anymore in some jobs. Now, I'm not, I can't speak for everything, that, every job. I think but. that there has been, there has been a push to kind of disrupt that in a way. Yeah. It hasn't been, you know, super, super progressive. But if we look at the culture of like some of these tech companies and like the Silicon Valleys where, yeah. you know, or like even like WeWork where 
you know, businesses are starting to put in like nap rooms and like yeah. nap pods and all these things, yeah. right? Like that, that kind of, that kind yep. of yep. disrupts that, yep. like that old culture of how you should be working, sitting in your desk from a nine to five, because it's like, hey, you may come in at nine or you may come in at eight. You may work for four hours. You may take a lunch. You may take a one hour right. nap, you know, right. refresh, reset, and then do your next four hours or however long you need. And I think that I think that there has been a shift there. One of the things with us being in D.C. and because the federal the government moves so slowly, right. I think here specifically, it still feels like it's it's slow and companies yeah. and corporations aren't progressing, you know, as quickly as they should, because I do think that. You know, when it comes down to the traditional culture of working a nine to five, like it, it isn't conducive for someone to be as productive as they can be. Yeah. If you have someone just sitting down and working eight hours straight, like, yeah, it, like or how, like how fine tuned is your mind to like really right. be that focused the right. entire time and not have any like stress or additional um adverse mental health effects right. with feeling the pressure of needing to you know from your employer to want to sit there and have to yeah. do your work all day it, it's, it's definitely um it can be stressful and it can definitely um trigger uh mental health challenges and one thing i'll say from the government perspective one of the things that the government has done really well and i agree that the government moves uh at a, at a different pace when it comes to certain when it comes to certain things but one of the good things i'll say from a government perspective is uh, the the government has alternate work schedules. So mm -hmm. the government has a structured leave program that allows for, of course, a nine to five, but then they allow for 10 hour days and off every Friday or off every, you know, one day a week and, and nine hour days and off every other day during the week. So they have these alternate work schedules that, you know, even for me, when I came back to the government, I had no leave, you know, cause you have to accrue leave to, mm -hmm. to be able to use it. I didn't have any. So I said, you know what, I, I need an alternate work schedule. I need to be able to go to the doctors and, and do different things um, and take care of my personal business. Which is also, another, this is also another crazy thing. When you think about people need to go to the doctor, yeah. doctor's appointments, dentist, things like that during yeah. the year. And like those businesses are only open during the day yep. on their weekdays people have to work during the weekend people have to yeah, work it's true it's true and now you think about how things have changed with covid uh, a lot of companies well you know some uh doctor's offices and medical professionals are really just starting to open again some yeah. of them closed and had to follow their state guidelines but they were scheduling telehealth visits before they would even give you a true visit yeah. you know for for the issue and and so that's actually added to in some cases added to the volume of appointments you would typically have for an issue and if you're some someone with a pre-existing condition or a new condition or some, you know something medically um where you have to to actually physically go into the doctor's office now you're home now your employee your employer might be clocking you every minute to yeah. figure out what you're actually doing because they're unsettled about this new remote workforce because mm -hmm. some employers are so they they are you know some of this is really causing micromanagement to be at at a ugly high so you have that to deal with and then you you really need to take off for your appointments but then you're stressed about getting back into the seat that you were in in your house to check in on whatever work that you could have done at eight o'clock at night if if you right. had the flexibility so we really need to rethink how we direct our culture in the height of something like this because we have a pandemic right now we don't know when it's going away we don't know what's next we don't know when something else is going to hit us, but we're really going to you know, need to make sure we have people in place wherever they are to be able to get work done. So, absolutely. you know, it's, a, it's absolutely. important. COVID, it's important is, co COVID, is, COVID is disrupting, disrupting in so many ways, in so many ways. And there's a, I know another thing that um, companies are looking into, and it's not new, you know, there's, a, there's always been talk about diversity and inclusion and what that means, but... They're looking at, you know, really the concentration of employees and um, uh, workplace benefits, but also workplace uh, inclusivity and how to do that uh, better and differently. Some of it is driven by the fact that um, some companies are really faced with uh, a number of employees retiring. So you have a huge mm -hmm. workforce that is now no longer working in retirement. And then you have uh, the the new, the you know the younger people mm -hmm. now uh, uh, becoming very prominent in the workforce, and and some of the younger generations are like, uh, why do I have to sit here and be at this desk for eight hours? And we're busy and, bodies. Yeah, we're busy and, and bodies. They, you know, and really, 
you know, they're driving the culture in a different way where companies are saying, okay, how do we be a little bit more inclusive? How do we foster an environment where we're really, you know, not just saying diversity in name, but we're actually looking at the workforce and making sure that we're hiring from within. I remember years ago when I was a consultant, when I worked for a company, um, actually is when I started with Booz Island. I, you know, just graduated college, started Booz Island, <clears throat> and it just left the federal government. And I remember how happy I was about the fact that a company like that had all of these different forms for different ethnicities and different groups. What do you mean forms? So, like, so, in so their, had, like in their languages? Yeah, no, what they had was, so they had like an African-American group mm-hmm. where you, we had uh, people from all levels, you know, all walks of life coming together, you know, all black people that, um, you know, had talks about career paths, talks about mentoring, um, put together forms for coaching and things like that. So they had it for all, the, all these different ethnic groups. And I was, I was proud of that. I was happy about that. But on the flip side, one of the issues that I, that I saw back then was they weren't recruiting from, you know, they weren't recruiting at the HBCUs. They weren't recruiting at uh, some of the colleges that had people that looked like me. So a lot of the faces that were coming in, I was one of only black, you know, black young woman at the time that was working in the company. And, and I thought that was a problem. What do you, hold on, what do you mean? So you're, so just so I'm clear. So essentially, there were groups of when different ethnicities. When you came into the company. Uh-huh. It was like, here, here, Kenise, you, like, here's, you have access to this group yeah, of black people. Yeah, you have access to a, a number of different groups. Here's okay. one. You can pick whichever one you wanted to join. And you said that they were hiring from all these different places for these groups. It just didn't, like, are you saying like the people were a certain way? No, so what I'm saying is once you got hired by the company, mm-hmm you could find a different group to be a part of. So right. if I wanted to find out, okay, where are the black people in leadership? Where are the black people that you work go to in the group IT? And find I can it. go to the group and find out. Because okay. some of the people had been there for years. Some of the people were from different offices because the company was really large. But when it came to, when I looked at the hiring initiatives and when people were being brought in, I was one of only black uh, one of only uh, so even so, Oh, so you're saying that even though they had these groups, they still weren't Pushing to hire no. from these different uh, no. people, people of these different uh, Not at all. origins. Not at all. So that was a problem. That I thought that was a huge problem. So I spoke to I spoke to leadership about it. I said, you know, I, I really think that. I mean, we were we were in Virginia and in Maryland and D.C. We had offices in all these different um, parts of the metropolitan area. Why are we talking to people at Howard University? Why aren't mm. we going to other schools? that not just for the purposes of targeting black people, but why are we more diverse in the, the community of people that we're looking at? They had maybe seven schools that they recruited from and that was it. And of those seven schools, if you looked at the population of black people, it was extremely low. So we're never gonna get the talent in the African-American community ever if we don't look beyond those schools. And so they said, well, this is what we do. This is how we do it. We only go to these schools. And so I want to I get your opinion on this because I think that in a lot of ways, when you do recruit from these same types of schools, you kind of end up getting the same type of person. Yeah, Right. And do. when we often you talk do. about like diversity and inclusion um, and some of the problems, like there's 50 million black people in the United States and there's typically a type of person that kind of ends up going into, you know, some of these yeah. routes. And so, you know, when we think about hiring practices and like that model of, oh, we're only gonna go to these seven schools, which has, you know, less than a 1% black population. And they end up hiring it, the same people. The same type they of do. black person. They do, they have the same. It's like you look for, it's like you look for <laughs> that same, <laughs> it's like this is your token right. black person, this is your token yep. type yep. of person. Yep. Then I think that's another thing that is missed in the conversation in general, and how there's this perpetuated bias right, based right. off like the type of black yep. person you're used to, the yep. type of black person yep. you're used to having in your company, the type of black person you're used to hiring on paper, yep. right? Yeah. And so that's a whole nother issue with inclusivity and belonging and diversity yes. because yes. it's, so it's the true. same. It's and the for same. Me, for me, I was like that outlier. So I was almost like, I looked to my left and my right, like, how did I get here? So I'll tell you, for me, I didn't go to one of these big name schools. I went to Strayer University, which was Strayer College. 
you know, back online. when I hired. No, not all online. Not all of it. Some of it was online. But uh, um, and I, 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 th- I always thought you was an online I say school. that the reason why I say that jokingly is because some of my online, like you remember that because as a kid. You would sit with me. When yeah, but I also, because Straya would have. That's why. Yeah, I would sit with you while you had your classes online, but Straya also, all the little commercials used to be like online. Yeah, so they have so, online you know, college. When Strayer, it's your online degree. Nope, when Strayer started, Strayer actually wasn't online at all. And then they, they transitioned. So one of the reasons why I went there, because you know, I started at Howard and I left Howard, I went to Strayer because Strayer had classes almost whenever you wanted to take them evening weekends all throughout the day and online so they added online too so most of my classes in my last two years were probably online but i did a lot of in-person classes in the evenings too and and throughout the day so i went to school whenever i needed to go to school because i was working really hard to get my degree at the time and so um but one of the reasons why i was hired because they were recruiting directly from schools that had students that didn't really have any experience. They were, I mean, as you know, at Georgetown, sometimes uh, some of these corporations will recruit students just because they're at this particular school and they know they're gonna get yeah. this type of student. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what they were doing. So once they did that, they um, they got, like you said, these kind of uniform students, black, white, other. But for me, I had government experience. So I was the outlier. I just applied, like I didn't get recruited. Nobody came to talk to me. I applied for the job. And they said, oh, wait, you've been in the government for five years and you're and you've been in school. Like, how did you do that? So that piqued their interest. And then they, you know, of course, I did these gruesome, long interviews, four hour long interviews, and they hired me. So I was the only person like me there. There was nobody else like me there. There was nobody else from the school that nobody had heard of. There was nobody else who had a kid who was three, four, five years old. There was nobody else like me there. How old were you here? uh, When I first got hired there, I was actually uh, 23. I was 23, so you were, what, seven? So you brought up these these challenges with, with, with leadership. Did you feel, did you ever feel like you didn't belong? Yeah, all the time, every day, every day, every day. I felt like, um, one, because I didn't go to the school. I mean, they really, the students came in talking and talk of all these schools they'd gone to. You know, they'd gone to, uh, I remember Notre Dame was prominent. Even here, George Washington, Georgetown, James Madison. I mean, the list goes on at some of the schools that they'd gone to. They all knew each other. They had all lived on campus. They talked about the college. I had no frame of reference. I was here locally. I never went on campus, you know, for, uh, well, some of the time for, for school, but I, I wasn't a student who lived in a dorm. So I didn't have that frame of reference. I felt very uncomfortable. I couldn't really participate in some of the conversations and I felt very um, isolated. My, my first, you know, couple years were really difficult because I didn't know I was working every day to try to figure out how to navigate that. You know, how do I relate? How do I participate? You know, and the other thing was because I was the only one that had a child I had to leave every day at a certain time because your daycare closed at six, no matter what. So I had to leave from Virginia by about 4.30 every day at the latest about five. So they would schedule meetings, five o'clock, 5.30, six o'clock in person that they expected people to be at. I couldn't do it. So I would tell them, I, I have to leave, I'll call from the car. So I had the pressures of, I had to call from the car to be in meetings. When I picked you up from daycare, I had to continue to work in the evenings. So I had things that I had to kind of push my way into um, working differently. So whereas everybody else might've been doing a nine to five from the beginning, I was kind of like, I'm gonna have to finish this later as long as I get it done, you know? And because I I was pretty smart and I was, um, and I picked up on everything quickly, so they just kind of, it was one of those things that they were kind of like, wow, you have, a, you have a kid and you're going to call from the car. They didn't, and... know, they didn't, know, they, they didn't know what to <laughs> like, do with you. Right. They didn't know what like, to do with you. Okay. Like, how do you say no to that? Oh, you're still going to get it done this evening? Okay, we'll see. And I did every time. So I would come home. I would, you know, set you up for homework. I was cooking dinner, make sure you had a bath. And I was on my, I was on my laptop. So, so, I so would two, be working so on my two laptop things. One, I would say that's just remarkable, right? Like superwoman. <laughs> but then two, <laughs> I can I can only imagine like the discomfort that you had. Yeah. But also <laughs> discomfort they had oh, yeah. and trying to oh, yeah, address they didn't know that. What to do. <laughs> they didn't know what to do. And the thing is, I was one of one. There wasn't five of me. 
So it wasn't like, like today, I feel like You felt awkward. Yeah. They felt awkward. Like they probably didn't know how to talk to you. What do I say? What do I say to this? So I feel like now, you know, I think with some of the, the things that organizations have to adjust to with, with different, uh, where they're trying to figure out inclusivity and all of that, they, there may be one, two, three, four, five people that they have that like, wait, now we have to think about this. We have to think about this challenge. We have to think about how do we include this group of people? You know, some of these things are popping up as new things that they hadn't had to think about before. Back then it was just me. And all these are HR issues. Yeah, these correct? are all HR issues. Hmm. And so it was just me. So you're right. They were extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> they, I, I mean, I saw it. I felt it, it was always there. And it took some time for, like for me, I, the, the confidence I had really rested in the fact that I knew I was capable and could do the job. I was extremely uncomfortable in that environment because I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I came from the great families and environments that they came from. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have someone that I could kind of go back to to say, I need help financially. Like it was always just me. So I knew I had to make it. And so I just kept pushing. I was very pushy in a nice way about how I was going to work and what I was going to do. And I just tried different things. So I, when I told them I'm going to take the call from the car, you know, I'm sure someone might have felt like you need to be here, but no one actually said it. Yeah. And so I just said, this is what I'm going to do. And that's why it's so important for companies to continue to have like race-based conversations and incorporating things like that into the orientation because at the end of the day, we all have a certain level of privilege and unless we continue to push against the boundaries of checking yeah. our privilege, like it'll never, that'll never be something that's addressed within the causes of these organizations. Like yeah. people get tired of having these orientations on, you know, on like race challenges or like inclusivity, like it's, it's exhausting, but yeah. It's something that needs to happen over and it's over necessary. and over but again. But I think, too, for the employee, you have to speak up. You yeah. have to speak up. I have so many young people that I mentor, that I talk to, and one of their biggest challenges, well, two, is exactly what you said. The organizations, they'll have these conversations, they'll have these talks, but when it comes to doing it in practice, a lot of times they're making these young people feel uncomfortable about the different needs that they have, yeah. about the need for flexibility or about a adjustment they need in, in the way that they work or about a new benefit or about a concern. So they really make them feel uncomfortable. Like, you know, how are you disrupting my norm by asking me for something? But as, as a, whether you're young, whatever your age group is, you have to be pushy. You have to speak up. You have to speak up and advocate for yourself. That's the one thing I always tell them. So when someone calls me and they want to talk it's, it's about- It's really like you're not only, you know, and, you have a, and you have a responsibility to do that too. Like so do. many, so many young people, you know, they can be vocal and disruptive on their own or in social media or out here protesting or want to do, par, par, uh, partake in activism and like have all these opinions and stuff. But when it comes to actually addressing those things in the workplace, it's like lock lips. You have right? to. You lock have lips. to be and present and be in. What a lot of people I think fail to realize is by doing that by speaking up you're not only helping yourself you're helping you're the helping next, next person yep, you know you and the you next are. person may not be as vocal as you or they may not be as opinionated as you and you're really doing a disservice to, yeah. to the people that come behind you that you don't pay the way for yeah you know when you were at when you're at booze and you're pushing to to be able to leave early to pick me up and to to do all those different things and navigate the workspace and, and finish up later you were really paving a way for another young woman that's going to come behind you eventually, whether it was two years, five years, yeah. or ten years, yep. right? And yep. when we look at when we look at the culture that is within that organization and other firms now, it's because of people like you yeah. in these workplaces that have actually helped these organizations move the needle. Yeah. And I wonder from a corporate standpoint, how can companies begin to one, acknowledge that? Like, yeah. like and 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 provide additional benefits or incentives for employees to do those things like how do we reward that you know and like that's how we yeah. really shift the culture we gotta yeah. look at we gotta, gotta stop looking at these things it's like disruptive in a, in a negative yeah. way disruption yeah. isn't a negative disruption it's, sparks it's, innovation exactly and it's and it's way too often that disruption looked at as a negative connotation when that's right. really not the case yep so one of the things that when you when you say i know you weren't asking me the question directly but one of the ways that that companies can do that is just by listening yeah. the best leaders listen you have to listen to people 
you know, you have to put yourselves in, in, in a position where you need, where you want, when you have a, a, a need and a desire to hear from the people that are supporting you and working for you every the day. The problem with listening, though, and, and you hear it so much, everyone always says you need to listen, you need to listen, you need to you listen. Put in, you got to put it right? in the context. Yeah, and be, because a lot of a lot of employers and a lot of leaders in general think listening is just oh I'm gonna let you talk I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm gonna set this meeting and go ahead y'all been complaining y'all feel some type of way spit it out right that's right not, or like trying to force people like that's not that's yeah. not listening no, like that's not listening it's not right and listening as a leader is not just creating a form for people to talk yep. that's not what it is it's being intentional about why you why you want them to speak up and and and, and really about what so for instance when I, I had a job where i had uh i led an organization of about 250 plus people and when i when i started that when i started the job i knew what i needed to do you know to me i'm cheesecake i know what i need to do i'm walking in here i got my goals i know what i need to do but then i said you know what there's a lot of people here that have been here for a long time the nerve of me to come into this organization and just do what I want to do with it. Let me hear what some of the challenges are in these areas. I was very specific. I was not creating a form for people to just talk to me. I wanted to hear specifically on a number of challenges and what they thought they needed to do to or, or and, and advise me to do to fix some of them. So it wasn't just about what do you need to do within your power and or can you, she need to do X, Y, Z. I wanted to hear how do we work together to overcome some of these obstacles. So we did a, a, did a number of things. It gave people, it gave people uh, a sense of being inclusive in this company, in this organization that I was running, but I didn't come in as a dictator to say, I'm just gonna direct this, this work however I want because I'm smart and I'm capable and I have experience. I wanted to hear from the people that were doing the day-to-day -day jobs. You know, here's some of the challenges I know we have. It, it, did I miss something? Is there something else there? How do we address this and that? Has something else worked before? What if? What do you think we should be doing about X, Y, Z? Uh, the 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 volume of information I heard was just outstanding. And when I when I scoped it that way, it didn't turn into a complaining session. It didn't turn into people just airing dirty laundry and talking about anything that they had on their minds. I made it very uh very clear what information. Um, or, or what environment I wanted to create to get the information that I needed. And that's also because of because what you were doing, the intentionality was pushed by action, right? Like wanting to create actionable solutions, tangible change, yeah. and not just, again, I'm gonna just give you the space to just tell me what the problem is so I can do what I want to do yeah. and do what I think best. It's like, no, the, the, the inclusive part about listening is receiving others' feedback, receiving what people are thinking, and being able to, to utilize that so that everything is is moved better right. it's like listening with intention and uh, listening with the uh listening with intention and listening with the intention of having an outcome-based conversation yeah. or some action to happen after that so many people just listen to respond you know no which is one of the worst things you yeah can do. and you and, and i've been in organizations that create forms and they say if you want to talk to me, just come and talk to me. I, I, the open door policy. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I get it. I get what I get. What people are trying to say when they say I have an open door policy, but you need more behind that. So what I've told people is, yep. You want to come talk to me? Sure. What you know? If you have an issue that you want to talk to me about, fine. Have you talked to your manager first? Because if I'm not in the direct, if I'm not the first person or your first uh, supervisor or manager or there's other avenues that you know you should take before me do that first let me know what they've done for you let me know how that has been resolved for you and if it hasn't let's talk about it like I don't just I don't believe in just an open door policy in an organization you have to give people context and what that actually means you have to give people direction and instruction about how to have constructive communication yeah. You know, so that's why, you know, some of these organizations that do this, you know, they the check in this box to say, I create this environment for people to talk to me. You I have come open talk door. to me whenever. No, yeah. No, that's not no, that, Yeah. No. And, that goes, and, that goes back, <laughs> and that goes back to the intentionality piece, right? Like, yeah. how are you how are you intentionally setting up lines of communication within your right. organization? Right. Uh, so that so that the dialogue does flow. Right. Like just saying I have an open door policy doesn't it doesn't help. Doesn't no, help anyone. no, you have doesn't to help be, anyone. You have to be intentional about it. And, and back to, you know, uh, what you were saying about the responsibility of the employee to speak up. 
you're not speaking up just for yourself. You're speaking up for everybody else. And at the moment, you might not care about anybody else, frankly. Yeah. You might not care about speaking up for anybody else, but... but speak up you for know, yourself. You have to speak up for yourself. So that's one of the things that I, you know, when, when someone talks to me and wants advice about what to do and how to navigate a situation, I say confront it. You have to talk about it. The, the challenge, though, I think is how to do that effectively. You know, and sometimes it's what words to use. How do I communicate it? What do I say? And that's where you get, you know, you may need some practice from somebody that knows and has been in those kind of situations to help you. But you have to you have to speak up. You have to advocate for yourself. And that's what I had to do, you know, because I had a seven, eight year old and I'm working in a consulting firm that has never seen anybody like me, you know, and has never experienced anybody like me. So I had to help them experience me. helped him with it by you know telling them what I could and could not do and then and then I think for me you know I knew that I needed to also be excellent I felt like I was excellent but they needed to see my excellence while I was there because it wasn't a culture that that uh easily adjusted to the fact that I was taking meetings in the car and working in the evenings other people didn't necessarily work like that so do you um, think it would have been different if you were a white woman with these challenges, or do you think it would have been the same? Well, do you think being a black woman perpetuated that, or like yeah, made it into the way? I think I think it would have been different for a white woman. Um, and and the only reason why I say that in this context is because there weren't a lot of black people there. So I know that they were they were used to white people, you know, male and female, being in that kind of environment. So um, a black not just being a black woman. But being a young black woman with a child, being a young black woman from an environment that they weren't familiar and used to, all of those things added up to being, you know, kind of uh, interacting but, with someone. But it sounds, different. but it sounds like in a, in a way, you being a black woman kind of helped it, helped your case, because because they were did. so because they were did. so uncomfortable. Were yeah, first, because <laughs> they were so uncomfortable. They and didn't know how to address things with you. It sounds like you kind of just got to as long as you did, as long as you were excellent, like you just kind of got to be like, ah, yeah, it yeah, was almost no, like I think, yeah, no. I think it was shocking. They, they were initially. too uncomfortable to have that conversation. Yeah, with you. yeah, you're right. They were too uncomfortable you're to right. have, have right. any of those conversations. I think it did help it. Initially, I think if you if think if you have a white well, white women, you may have got to be a little bit more. Potentially, yeah. it's possible. It's possible. I think that um, it was so shocking initially that I, I think the silence was just shock. <laughs> what do we say to her? What do we do? And then over time, um, it, it became that um, I wasn't going away. You know, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to just be quiet when I had needs that were different from other people. So but I, I did, you know, I did a lot to to push my way into being inclusive, you know, by by joining different forums and different groups and doing when I could after after work activities because we had a lot of networking activities and things like that so I, I made it so that you know I scheduled time with your dad to have you so that I could do different things so I did my best and, and and it was stressful at the time because I had other personal obligations but I did my best to to even though they may not have been fostering an inclusive environment for me I kind of made them do it yeah. like I made it so by by you know freeing up my time to be be able to participate in different things so i like the fact that even back then because that was in the early 2000s they had environments for people you know to join different types of groups and and to you know uh support diversity in a way but when it came to hiring practices it was just lacking i don't know what it what it's like now but i know back then it was a it was a challenge so um that was something, you know, I had to kind of overcome. Man. But I think I did a good job of it. Well, <laughs> so. yeah, well, I think so, too. I think so, too. <laughs> so I guess COVID really has has pushed to create this more belonging environment with yeah. people being at home. Like, going back to that. Has. I think it has, too. Um, one thing that I, I think is going to be interesting. Um, so, you know, we talk a lot about leadership and one of the things that I've done in my own career, whenever I've decided to to take a job, leave a job, go to another job, because every time I went to another position or another um, organization, because I was always thinking ahead about, I didn't just take another job and sidestep. I always wanted to move to the next level, move to the next level. So every time I took a job, I always looked at their leadership. I went to their website, 
or if I was physically, you know, if I went on an interview, I looked at the walls to see because a lot of these companies have pictures of their leadership on the yeah, walls, like the director who are in the photographs. Yeah. <laughs> so I did a lot. I did a lot of the that. Board. To, yeah, who's on the yeah. board? What do they look like? Do they look like me? So I did that every place I would go. And if I decided to take a job that didn't have any leaders that looked like me, I looked at that as an opportunity. You know, I, I looked at it as a child. It's like, how do I get my picture on that wall? Yeah. You know, especially working in IT where, you know, it's not as male dominated as it used to be, but it still is. So, um, you know, I, I always looked at it like, how do I, you know, how do I push the envelope so that I am the woman amongst these leaders and the black woman amongst these leaders because it was both. It was being a woman in information technology and it was being a black woman in information technology. So all of these different challenges and all these different things while people are home, I don't know if other people are thinking like I did, but at the time I was always, I wanted to be progressive. I wanted to move to the next level. I had no intentions on leaving one company to be in the same job that I was in before. I was always like, okay, if I can't do it here, I want to do it someplace else. I need to be at the next level. How do I do that? And when I saw that the the leaders didn't look like me, I knew it was going to be a challenge. But I also didn't look at it from a negative perspective. I thought I might be the first. I'm going to try to be the first. So, you know, COVID has presented, I think, the time and opportunity for companies to look at their leadership pool, look at their employees, look at their benefits, you know, look at things like cost for rent and real estate and things like that and figure out how to be better. You know, how to be better when it comes to diversity and inclusion, but other things, because it's not just that. These challenges, as we've talked about, have been there for quite some time. Yeah. These things are not new. We are not just having a diversity issue. You know, we are not just having an issue with flexibility and benefits and things for these companies. This is not new stuff. These these COVID has just, you know, put the, the, the magnifying glass on the issues that were already there. So I think it's the time now. But we're starting to see we're starting to see some of the, the bigger firms take a stance yeah. in, in a lot of different ways. In a lot of different ways. And and especially as as we as as we've seen social issues, you know, ignite during COVID. Like we're seeing a lot of companies and a lot of corporations, you know, really support um, issues that their employees care about. And I think that's one way that a lot of corporations are really beginning to get behind their, their employers because, you know, people want to work somewhere they feel proud about, yeah, they do. you know, they like do. more than, more than like, Oh, my company is, you know, one of the, the biggest or fastest growing, but like my company, you know, stands behind this issue, which I truly care about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And my, my company is putting money into these social issues. And I mean, we're seeing specifically at, at, at my nonprofit where, you know, there's so many corporations now that are looking for entities like mine that are doing work in the community, have yeah. been doing it for a while, whether it's working with kids or, you know, organizing and, act, and activating. Right. Or telling stories and wanting to be a part of that. Yeah. Right. And companies are beginning to realize how when they get behind these issues, their employees want to work harder yeah. and want to be yeah. a part of it. And they also want to give money and they also want to share and post what their company's doing and feel proud. Right. And this and what a lot of companies don't realize is you don't have to spend a lot of money to make your to make your employees feel proud. Yeah. You know, people want to work somewhere that that does social good now yeah, and, and that's one way that companies can really thrive in relation to uh to moving the needle and in relation to to making their employees more happy and making the employees have more have more benefits because you know that's that's what makes people happy so that's the episode for y'all disruption Color be scene. disruptive <laughs> and then that's how you make it work yes that's how you make it work Yo.